0: From the AutoLine studios, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today's show is going to be all about mobility and mobility services. What's that mean? We're going to find out soon because I've got three experts in this field, including Kay Seeley, the president of Zipcar, Peter Swetman, the director of the University of Michigan's Transportation Research Institute, and Dr. Erica Clamfell, the manager of Future Mobility at the Ford Motor Company. Great having all three of you here. Let me start out by saying this, there are some people out there now who are saying, in the not-too-distant future, we're not going to buy cars anymore. We're not going to lease cars anymore. Instead, we're going to be buying mobility and mobility services. And Peter, since you run the Transportation Research Institute, what does this all mean to you? And what do you make of this whole concept of selling mobility?
1: I couldn't agree more. I think we're already seeing some movement in that. So, you know, we, at, at the University of Michigan, we track uh, uh, various sectors of the, of the community and how they're buying cars. And we're finding that the, the young, younger group are not buying cars to the same extent. They're not getting driver's license to the same extent. So there's some movement taking place there already. And then when we think about where the technology could take us, uh, I think we're we're very convinced that we're moving to a service mobility concept. Kay, you run one of the big disruptors in the field, Zipcar, which has almost become
0: synonymous with car sharing. How do you see this whole buying mobility services developing?
2: So clearly we're here to solve a problem, right? So the problem is that there's a lot of people moving into cities Cities are becoming congested, Um, it becomes expensive and a hassle to own a car, so therefore, um, we have a solution that solves that. You can share a car with your neighbor, you can share your car with 50 others that live within your community.
0: And we'll want to get into more details on that, but I want to get uh, Dr. Erica Clamfell involved in this as well. Ford Motor Company has a 100-year history of making, selling, and uh, leasing cars. What does this whole mobility services mean for Ford, and, and what are you doing with that?
3: So I think there's a role for a lot of the, the new services ownership models. Uh, we do feel that there's always going to be personal ownership, um, but we're really excited about the different opportunities um, to not only sell our vehicles, but to help uh, with the problems of congestion and, and urbanization and, and to get better uh, utilization out of the vehicles that are on the road today through programs such as car sharing.
0: So, Peter, let me come back to you. you, you're, you know, Ann Arbor is sort of the center of the universe, at least at this snapshot in time, and in, in really developing this technology with a lot of different players, car companies, suppliers, governments, and, and that. Describe for me and, and the audience as well, what 's this mean buying f- mobility in the future? How will that work
1: Well in ann arbor we 're fortunate to have the te- proximity to all this great technology, uh, but also we have a great community who are very interested in experimenting with this new form of mobility so we 've got three thousand volunteers right now driving connected vehicles have been for the last eighteen months in in ann arbor so uh, and they 're saying to us well what 's next so uh, we 're very encouraged, but we, we think it's um, an important coming together of what people want in terms of in terms of users wanting uh, a mobility service, and the ability of the technology now to stand up and provide that uh, in a very affordable way as well, uh, but also to, to move gradually uh, to a fairly automated kind of mobility concept.
0: Automated meaning autonomous cars, cars that can drive themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, we think that there's going to be a, a combination of so-called connected vehicles, so the vehicles we have in Ann Arbor right now are all talking to each other uh, in, a, in a very robust kind of way, so a reliable communication that you can act upon, your vehicle can act upon a signal from another vehicle. That's a huge Give us some forward. examples
0: of what that means.
1: So that means, for example, that uh, if, if a vehicle around you is suddenly moving towards your vehicle, uh, it's not actually in your line of sight because it's behind the A pillar or something like that. Your, your vehicle knows about that, so uh, that information can be then provided to you by the vehicle. Uh, when you add on top of that the ability of vehicles to uh, react uh, automatically and either steering, braking or various uh, control actions, then uh, we've got a recipe for a complete transformation in safety.
0: I.e., we may have cars that are almost impossible to crash into one another.
1: I don't want to go that far. <laughs> well, but greatly reduce
0: the number of accidents.
1: Exactly. Uh, the connected technology we have right now, we estimate, and the, the, the U.S. Department of Transportation has estimated that it can potentially reduce 80% of uh, serious, unimpaired, multi-vehicle crashes That's a huge number. We haven't seen any technology or any solution uh, in recent years that could could equal that.
0: Erica, how does Ford see this technology being incorporated into its vehicles? Yeah, so
3: Ford is actually involved in that project as well through donating vehicles and really analyzing the data and participating in that. So we're really excited about the vehicle-to-vehicle communication and technology. Uh, We think it's really going to be helpful in safety, as you mentioned. And also, uh, it'll be helpful in addressing problems of congestion because you can get more density on the road if vehicles are talking to each other. They can follow each other more closely.
0: Now, I was shown a demonstration of vehicle-to-vehicle communication 10 years ago, and they told me at the time, oh, yeah, this is going to be in all the new cars by 2014. Well, here we are, 2014, and we're still talking several years out. When do you think we'll start to see these things in cars?
3: So I think the technology and, and the research is, is really there. Uh, we, I think we have some challenges to overcome with the infrastructure and the government and the policy. So I think through the new uh, Mobility Transformation Center, that's really something we'll be able to start testing out.
0: And Kay, I've got to believe this is huge for Zipcar as well, having this, this infrastructure of, of mobility.
2: Right. So uh, Zipcar... Is part of this ecosystem of transportation needs and what people need to get in and around cities. Um, it makes their lives easier for a couple of reasons. One, um, if they don't own a car, they have lots of ways to get around the city. Um, oftentimes, they'll need to get out of the city for different uh, reasons, and and this provides them with a very very good solution. You know, think of it, the the paradigm that has shifted from one car per person. Um, which existed years ago. Now we're looking at one zip car can actually support 50 members.
0: 50? 50. 50. Five, zero. So that could potentially pull a lot of cars off the road or not?
2: So it's, it's we do an annual survey, and our annual survey shows that um, every zip car we put on the road in an urban environment pulls 15 personal cars off the road. One five. One five.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's gotta worry automakers, I would imagine, because I gotta believe your business is growing.
2: Our business is growing, but I think it actually partners well with automakers. Um, Ford is a very big partner of ours, um, not only for having vehicles um, in all of our general fleet, um, but they partner with us on a university program. It allows uh, users, the millennials, um, this important demographic for us, um, to be able to test drive cars. And when their context changes, for example, if they move out into the city or from the city into a a suburban environment, they've now tested a Ford vehicle and are likely, likely to put it
0: in their decision set. One thing that I've heard is that while we hear millennials may not be interested in cars at all, when they go and use Zipcar, they want a cool car. They don't want just any car. They want a Mini or a BMW, maybe a good Ford too as well. But is that true? Is that what you're finding that millennials actually do like cars?
2: They they do like cars, and they like to pick the cars. Um, at Zipcar, we have more than 30 makes and models of vehicles in our fleet, and we have them for a small car or a compact car for somebody who wants to zip across a city. We have cars. Uh, BMWs and other luxury vehicles where people can use it for special occasions. We have the larger SUVs, the Ford SUVs that allow people to pack up the car and and go to the beach for the weekend. So yes, we see use cases
0: for all sorts of types of vehicles. Hmm. Peter, let's go back to this vehicle-to-vehicle communication. Some refer to it as V to I, vehicle to infrastructure. Some Mm -hmm. call it V to X, vehicle to whatever. Mm -hmm. What I'm wondering (laughs) though is Will my future car depend on this infrastructure uh, for communication? And, and the reason I ask is, when the tornado hits, the earthquake hits, the tsunami hits, I want my car to be able to get out of dodge. I don't want you know, the cloud going down, and now I can't use my car. So how do you balance those those needs of people like me who want this independence? With the benefits of tying it all into an ecosystem.
1: So, so I think I think what we're seeing here is that uh, a big step has been taken just in 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 February this year when the USDOT announced that they're going to move to rulemaking for this kind of connectivity in vehicles. This particular platform. Um, so, you know, there's a rulemaking process. that takes two or three years to to move through. But I think that was the signal that. You, you mentioned earlier that ten, you know, 10 years ago we were seeing certain things and I think that is the big news. That is the thing that's going to help move the catalyst that's going to move all this forward. Um, but it's not only uh, the fact that we've got this platform in vehicles, original equipment, but we, as, as you rightly allude to, we do need uh, connectivity in the infrastructure as well. So one of the interesting questions is how that's going to be paid for What's the business case in the infrastructure? Uh, so it, it truly becomes a, a public-private uh, partnership. Um, and and I think that's why the, the government, the, the uh, USDOT, has taken a strong role in kind of guiding this process because you've got to start somewhere. You can't suddenly just create that that partnership out of thin air so i think we've we've come a long way in the last year or so and and you anticipated my next question which Hmm. is yeah who is going to pay for this
0: now you've got a great program going in ann arbor with a lot of uh corporate and uh u.s federal money going into it but if this is going to scale up where will the money come from
1: so one reason that we've pursued this particular technology is that it's very affordable so the communication between the wireless communication uh, is much more affordable right now than many of the sensors that that every vehicle would have to have. So, so there, isn't this Wi-Fi essentially that you're yeah, using for communication? It's a licensed form of uh, of Wi-Fi spectrum, um, and so we're very pleased that 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 spectrum has been reserved for these safety purposes. We need to make sure that it stays that way, and we take full advantage of it because. This is a very uh, affordable way to to create this kind of uh, what we call situation awareness. Your own vehicle creates its own situation awareness of all the vehicles around it. Uh, How good is that? So if that's affordable and we're not needing a lot of sensors in all of those vehicles in order to do that, then this is a pretty smart way to do it. W- when you say hopefully
0: you'll get that spectrum, isn't one of the dangers that some in Congress are talking about auctioning off that spectrum and making some money off it?
1: Indeed. Um, so that that spectrum is uh, highly valuable, obviously, but uh, this, we're now moving so quickly with these safety applications that we think it's important, and, and we believe that... Um, That all all the parties involved in this recognise that safety is obviously critical and we need to um, uh, either either reserve that spectrum or or at least make sure that whatever other uses are being permitted uh, either in the spectrum or adjacent to it are not going to interfere with the way this operates. And one of the great things about our test environment in Ann Arbor is it's the ideal place to test all these kinds of things. So um, at the moment in Ann Arbor we have at any given time probably five percent of the vehicles in the traffic stream are actually equipped with this technology even though we 've got 3,000 out there they get diluted in the traffic stream uh, but what we'll be able to do as we go forward with our new center is bring many thousands of vehicles into the picture and see what happens when we have a really high density of vehicles broadcasting um, and that's when we're going to n- n- we have to make sure that we have the spectrum that can accommodate that volume of messages going around.
3: So I just want to say I don't think you have to worry about being caught in a tornado. You can think of this as an additional safety feature that complements the current functionality that you have in the vehicle. So uh, to address your your first point, Um, and I think when policy and government thinks about how will we pay for this? We should think about all of the trade-offs that we get from the safety perspective and the collision avoidance. Um, The government spends a lot of money On this sort of thing which leads to accidents and health care high health care costs so I think there are a lot of trade-offs in the cost that we might pay for this and, and what we gain as a society.
0: Erica do you think that might be able to come out of insurance premiums I mean presumably if you're you've got the technology that will get you in many fewer accidents maybe no accident whatsoever you'd save a ton on insurance couldn't the insurance companies give you discounts if you have that on your car?
3: I wouldn't want to speak for what the insurance companies would do. But,
0: um, <laughs> but you kind of like the idea, maybe.
3: <laughs> so I think there are a lot of new business models and opportunities that will arise out of the new technology.
0: Can you talk about when we might start seeing Ford puttin', putting this technology in its cars?
3: So as far as timing, I think we're, we're really interested in looking and explore, exploring with the, the new uh, MTC with U of M, I think this is where we're going to be we're going to be able to test out a lot of the technology, uh, really in higher density with the center. So we're really looking forward to that.
0: And Kay, uh, is Zipcar looking at incorporating this technology in the cars it offers?
2: Absolutely. Um, a lot of what we do. There's a couple things we do. One, first and foremost, is we look for what will make our member experience better. And with all the technology going into cars, whether it's safety features, whether it's you know, uh, uh, automatic braking systems, so you don't cause a colli- so a collision is not caused. That's all good for our members. And then if we can create new products and services that allow um, for the car to be more efficient, it's it's better for our members. Therefore, it's better for us.
0: Talk a little bit about the the total car sharing business. And the reason I ask that is recently Daimler just announced it had its own car sharing program called Car2Go. But it's pulling out of the UK market. Meanwhile, elsewhere in Europe, it's going pretty good. But it pulled out of the UK, and Uber, which is kind of car sharing where you get a driver too, is talking about doing an IPO that may value the company at ten billion dollars. So you know, here's one operation pulling out of an entire country, and another one talking about fabulous IPO.
2: Right, right. A couple different applications. First, first of all, I think. Um, Uber, part of the ecosystem of this whole notion of mobility, um, they're, a, they're a reservation system. They don't own cars. They don't own drivers. Um, they are a good service that provide an option for people to go from point to point, point. Um, and they're they're growing uh, very nicely. So that's good. Zipcar, we have um, we have a couple different services that we offer to uh, members, which is different than. What our competitors do, whether it's Uber or Cardigo or uh, others, and that is that we have a round trip service uh, with guaranteed parking on on the end of the transaction, and that is very attractive to people. I already spoke about we offer uh, many different makes and models of vehicles that does not exist with Cardigo. We have uh, we are continuously roll out new technology and new services that our members um, have been asking for, and so. It's it's a good business that um, a lot of people are are asking for, and that's why we continue to grow around the world ro- around
0: the world. Parking, Peter, I got to ask you about that. Uh, Kay's absolutely right. You know, parking, especially in urban environments, can be a major hassle. Is identifying parking spots part of your program?
1: Absolutely. So the the new center that that we alluded to, the MTC. Um, Smart parking is, is definitely part of that because uh, right now in a, in a city any given city if you're looking at all the vehicles traveling down the around the streets uh, maybe 30 percent of those vehicles are just circulating around looking for somewhere to park so uh, th- th- this is a critical item and there are many many ways we can look at this but uh, we see that certainly in in the uh, foreseeable future very immediate future we're going to see. Uh, cars that park themselves for example. Uh, so that's going to make a huge difference to the efficiency with which the parking structure is being used because we don't need as nearly as much space within the parking structure. Uh, if you and I are trying to back in and out and so on and I just backed into a colleague the other day in the parking lot. Um, so you know we, we, uh, we get a, away from all those kind of problems uh, with, with that sort of automated parking Situation. So, I think they're they're some of the things that will be very early adopted in our program.
2: Yeah, I think if I can jump in on that really quick, uh, the notion of making sure that there is parking um, is important not only for the people driving but the cities. So there is this notion of does it create 20 or 30% more congestion if you don't have a spot at your destination is remarkably important as cities decide
0: what sort of transportation systems
2: they put into place.
0: How do you do that do you have to put sensors in every parking spot or parking meter how does that work
1: well i think that that's certainly being done so yes very low cost sensors can be put in every parking spot that information could be beamed to the vehicles uh, so that's happening but also this uh, v2v and v2i technology can can be uh, used that way so that you don't necessarily need to have a sensor in every parking spot so you can actually see the vehicle can see what's going on so Uh, there's a lot of development to take place there. Smart parking, I think, is uh, an area that's just taken off in the last two, three years. Um, You know, when we think about all of the possible areas of intelligent transportation systems that can be implemented, I think smart parking is one of the more exciting ones and one of the more successful ones.
0: I think Audi's got a program in San Francisco on this very thing, where with your navigation system, you can identify where there's a parking spot in the city, and it's dynamic. So if somebody goes and takes it, it'll show you the next available one based on where you're going.
1: Exactly. And, and I think, as Kay said, people, are, customers are going to be starting to expect this kind of thing. you know. So it's going to be very easy to get used to having that. So uh, yeah, it's as very As I mentioned,
3: there are a lot of different technical mm-hmm. ways of doing it, by using sensors, uh, one of the interesting experie- experiments that we did in London uh, was to open up using our um, OpenXC, uh, Open Software and Hardware Platform, uh, to the community to see uh, in London. It was called the London Traffic Tamer App Challenge. Um, to get the community to see, how would you address the challenges in the city? And what can you come up with developing it using this plug-in device that's open source? And the, the app that won was called Park App, uh, Appy Park. That was it. And it was, so in London, you mentioned the complexities of uh, putting sharing or something in place in London. Well, there are so many different boroughs. They all have different pricing, parking rules and regulations. So the Appy Park brought all of this information together for one uh, parking and payment system.
0: That's pretty good. And you just threw that open to the public to develop, eh? That's really impressive. You mentioned London. I want to ask you about this uh, program Ford's got in Chennai, India. I think it's called Summers uh, Sustainable Urban Mobility with Unlimited uh, Rural, rural reach. reach. Is that right? Did I get right. that right? <laughs>
3: D- I, I think so. I was <laughs> hoping you'd say it and not have me do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what's that all about? Yeah, that's really actually, a, a, I think, a really nice program around getting um, uh, maternal care and uh, health care access to women in rural areas uh, by, by providing a vehicle that can handle the, the terrain. Um, and the connectivity to get the women to uh, safely deliver pregnancies, so.
0: So this whole concept of mobility is something that Ford is very focused on.
3: Yeah, you can think it started back in uh, 1925 when when Henry Ford had the advertisement campaign around opening the highways for all mankind. And it was really about providing affordable and accessible transportation for all. And I think that's really uh, permeated through all of Ford's history. Um, right now, I think we're at a changing point of how we actually deliver that to our customers based on um, you know multimodal transportation and, and different ways uh, and ownership models. Um, so now we're really looking at how can we provide seamless mobility for all.
0: Very interesting, yeah. And uh, I love hearing that you're experimenting in rural India with this kind of a concept. How, how amazing, really. Uh, Kay, let me come back to you. Uh, you do this car sharing. You know where people have to join Zipcar, become members to use it. But there's some other models that are developing out there too, uh, where individuals can put their own cars in for vehicle sharing, like through relay rides mm-hmm. with OnStar. And then there's even talk of maybe people just getting online and doing their own peer-to-peer kind of connection. How do you think this is going to develop? How, what's the end game in all this? So
2: I'm not going to predict the end game. <laughs> I'm not going to predict the end game. Um, it gets quite a bit of attention, um, certainly any peer-to-peer uh, sharing, whether it's vehicle or other, other uh, services or products that people want to share. Um, in the transportation space, um, we're focused on not uh, the peer-to-peer space. We're really focused on making sure that there is a car for a driver and not, uh, not having that peer-to-peer concept
0: hmm so how's business?
2: How's business? For Zipcar. Our business is, is going very, very well. Fastest growing segment is our university segment. Um, uh, the students in university, obviously a, a car, very expensive and a hassle to park on universities. So growing by leaps and bounds, we're on over 350 campuses in North America alone. Uh, we continue to expand. We're in hundreds of cities and towns. Um, In the in the countries that we exist um, and we continue to see our membership
0: rise. Where's it most popular the concept of car sharing? So how we start out is I I, I guess I'm asking by country or geographic region by country So
2: in North America, we started in North America in 2000. So we have a longer history here Um, Zipcar has a longer history here in North America. So we have more members here um, but we do continue to see uh, significant growth in Europe.
0: I would think uh, places like Europe, Japan, China, and the like too, much more urban concentration that it would be even more popular in those kind right. of places. You
2: know, uh, easy, easy places to introduce is where, where the cost of transportation is high, where, where public transportation is, is used frequently, um, where the cost of living is high and there's a high density and that's where we focus. London, we're very, very successful in London. Um, we have uh, a couple thousand cars in London and, and thousands of members and that enjoy our service today.
0: So, car to go had to pull out of the UK, but you're going strong that's there.
3: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Real good. With that, we're going to have to wrap this up. I mean, I, we could easily go on another hour talking all about this. It's, I think it's one of the most exciting developments that's ever come along, but... Kay Seeley, the president of Zipcar, Peter Swetman, the director of Umtree, and Dr. Erica Clomphill, the manager of future mobility at Ford. I want to thank you all for having joined me today. Thank you. I want to thank thank all of you for having tuned in.